Did you hear that, Fred? No, what was that? It sounds like a cuckoo clock. I believe it's time for another message. Well, we better get in the cab and grab our listeners and head on down the road. For Church on the Road Radio. Here we go. I'm driving when the sun goes down The hum of 18 wheels Lord, that's a lonely sound I spend all day Chasing that old white line I've been on the road so long I've lost track of time Now it don't matter where I'm going I just gotta drive I have the white line fever to the day I gotta see I gotta look around I got diesel smoke rolling From two chrome stacks My address is 408-414 A big blue Mac Now it don't matter where I'm going I just gotta drive I have the white line fever to the day that I die I said hey Friends, this is Chaplain Gary Rayburn, and alongside of me is my partner Daryl Spicer, and the road is our life. We want to ride along with you out there as you travel up and down the highways. I don't know about them, but I like riding in this driver's truck. Did you look at that couch back there? He's got a couch and a recliner. I don't know how he hauls any freight because he's hauling so much furniture back here in his sleeper, but I like it. Yeah, I think I might just sit in the back today. No, I'll let no. you ride up here in the shotgun seat. No, 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 no. You put me in some of them bad sleepers. <laughs> I'm going to ride in this store-bought sleeper. This thing's got a, two doors on his refrigerator, but it's a side-by-side with an ice maker, brother. This is cool. 
All right, well, Darrell, get back there and see what he's got in that big old refrigerator. I think he's got popsicles in the freezer, man. You want one? Of, you want a grape or a cherry? Oh, give me the cherry popsicle. You got it. I knew you'd pick the cherry. It's the last one he's got. We've got an awesome program today, and I get to hear it back here in this big old sleeper house because he's got surround sound. Surround sound. Yeah. In his sleeper. Now, yeah. I'll tell you what. This guy is living large. Uh, it's store-bought, I'm telling you. This, yeah. this guy's got a lot of money because he got a lot of popsicles. Well, <laughs> well, that's great. So, wh- who we got today for our program? Well, today, what is so neat, and I get to listen to it on Surround Sound, is Mike Atkins. Oh, man, I'll tell you what. You remember that story about Norman that we played? Yeah, I do. Yeah. yeah. Well, this one's is just as good. Well, Mike has a way of getting himself into a lot of trouble, but he does it. And I know that the Lord's sitting up there laughing at him because I I know sometimes he laughs at me and Gary, especially when we're trying to do some of these radio programs. But we do it because we love to have fun. We love to share with you drivers out there on the old lonesome road. But Mike Atkins has an awesome story today. You need to listen to what God does with this man and, and how he teaches him lessons in life and helps him plant seeds that pretty soon he's going to have an awesome harvest. Wait till you hear the harvest. Planting seeds and letting God bring the harvest. What a great story this is by our good friend, Mike Mike Atkins. And uh, I used to worry a lot back in that family. There'd come a day when we'd run out, wouldn't have enough. My grandfather and my dad worked in the mines right around the time of the depression then later on i went to work in the mines myself i had a good job then i quit because i felt like god was saying that he wanted me to come into the ministry by that time i had a family of my own we didn't have any money so we had to learn to live by faith and i don't mind telling you i was plenty scared Much to my amazement, God challenged us and then he helped us to have the courage to do what seemed impossible. Now, I was always a person, before I accepted Jesus, if I did go to church, I'd put a dollar in the offering and I'd fold it up and really didn't want to put that in the offering. But, you know, sometimes people are sitting close and you don't want them to think you're a tightwad. So I'd fold it up so the ushers wouldn't know if it was a 5 or a 10 or a 20. And as the plate was coming down my aisle, something said to me, for the very first time in my life, I'll guarantee you, give everything in your billfold. I thought, everything? I slipped my billfold out and looked quickly. I couldn't believe it. I thought, oh, no. I had more money in there than usual. I thought all of it, and as soon as I said all of it, that same voice said very quickly to me, yes, and do it quietly. I think that's the part I hated worst of all. If you're going to give everything in your billfold, they ought to call you up front and let you take a bow, I thought. (laughs) And so I quietly put the money in, and all of it, and watched it go on by me. And then a funny thing happened. When the meeting was over and they dismissed, a lady ran up to me. She didn't know me. I'd never seen her. She'd never seen me. But you could tell it's one of those situations people were starting to leave the meeting and she just wanted to talk to somebody, had something to say before she left. So she picked me. I'll never forget her. She ran up to me and she said, Sir, excuse me a moment. I want to ask you a question. I looked at her. I said, Yes, ma'am. What is it? 
She said, I want to ask you, looked around like the FBI was watching. <laughs> what do you think they do with the offerings they take in these kind of meetings? I said, well, why do you ask that? And she said, because I think they steal them. <laughs> I said, are you serious? Are, you really think they steal them? She said, yes, I do. I'll never forget her. She put one hand on her hip like this, and she said, but they didn't get much off me, sir. <laughs> she said, I only gave them 85 cents. <laughs> I thought you're looking at an idiot that emptied his bill for me. I thought about that later because I was concerned and, and I asked my heavenly father about it. First chance I had. And I'll tell you what he said to me. He said to me what he, what he made me know. He said, son, when you give unto me, truly give to me for no other reason, it goes on your account. And I'll deal with whoever misuses it. But rest assured that I keep good books. <laughs> A little while later, and you well know this happens to all of us, we got down to uh, a point in our life in the ministry where we only had $100 left to our name again. This business about walking by faith is challenging sometimes. <laughs> a little church from Cape Girardeau, Missouri wrote us a letter. And they said, Brother Mike, would you come to our church? It was a, a Saturday night banquet and sing for us. And we were glad to accept. And Saturday night we arrived and the service went well, the banquet. After it was over, the pastor came to me. He said, Brother Mike, would you happen to have tomorrow morning, Sunday morning, open on your calendar? He said, I'd love you to come back and sing a few songs just before I bring the Sunday morning sermon. I said, yes, sir. Uh, it just happens we, we've got that Sunday open. And I thought to myself, and 51 Sundays after that, if you'd like to have them. <laughs> He said, well, the church will be glad to pay for you a motel if you'll come back in the morning. And so we went to the motel that night. I told my wife and my daughters on the way to that church, don't ask for anything after church tonight, girls, like pizza or Coca-Cola or anything, because we're down to $100, and I want to be a good steward. That's what I always said when I was scared. Well, you'd have to be a good steward to make $100 last the rest of your life, wouldn't you? <laughs> God had really spoke to me and dealt with me by that time in my life. And I don't know what he said to other people. I'm not trying to be anybody's judge. We'll all have to stand in front of him one day. But what he had said to me was, when you go in the ministry, never mention money. First, I didn't know what he meant. I, I later asked him, if someone invites me, God, a pastor, should I charge a fee? How much should I charge for coming? He quickly replied, what price would you put on my gospel? And then I knew that I'd have to walk by faith. So we hadn't mentioned anything to that pastor. And he got up to preach that Sunday morning after I sang and had sat down and joined my family in the audience. And I thought he was going to preach. He opened his Bible, but instead he said, you know, I believe the Holy Spirit has spoke to me that we should receive a love offering for Brother Mike and his family. I remember he said, he's not mentioned this, but, but I feel like we should do this. And he asked the ushers to pass the plates. I kind of glanced over my shoulder, pretty nice sized crowd. I, I was saying, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I'd not had very many offerings taken for me my whole life before that. I, 
I didn't know how to act during an offering. I thought maybe I can look very spiritual in this offering. <laughs> Inside, I wanted to break out in a silly grin uh, from relief. <laughs> but I thought if I grin, what if some man is getting ready to put a $20 bill in that offering plate and he sees me with a silly grin? <laughs> what if he thinks, well, he don't need any money. Look, he hasn't got a care in the world. He doesn't put it in. So I just sat there, and finally that terrible moment was over. The offering was finished. Now I thought he'll preach, and all this is behind us. Instead of preaching, that same pastor said, I forgot something. One of my deacons just reminded me while we received that offering. He said, this is our building fund Sunday. We've just built this new church, and I forgot tomorrow I have to go to the bank and make a payment on this new church. So visitors, he said, forgive me, and don't feel like you have to do anything or be a part of this. But for our members, he said, we must take another offering. So ushers, pass the plates again before I preach. And as that plate was coming down my aisle, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, give your offering back to them for their building fund. And I knew that wasn't God. <laughs> knew. In fact, I want you to reason with me. Is God a God of love? Yes. Does He know everything? He even helped us not mention money. And I know he's not a cruel God. He wouldn't miraculously supply us an offering that was so desperately needed and then turn around and jerk it away from us, would he? <laughs> and then he said to me, not unless I was trying to teach you to really trust me. Now I remembered some scripture in the Bible I'd read somewhere about putting away childish things and growing up. So after church, I thought, I'm not going to rush into this deal. I'm going to wait on that, that wonderful new word I just learned in those days, confirmation. And some lady ran up to me as soon as the church service was over. So excited. She didn't know what I'd been wrestling with. She didn't know what I'd been thinking. She said, oh, Brother Mike, isn't it wonderful how the Bible says you can never outgive God? I said, oh, yes, ma'am. That's, that's a wonderful truth. Yes, ma'am. Everything and everybody that I ran into that morning confirmed what I thought God might have been saying to me. And so after church, when the pastor handed me the envelope and said, here's the offering we took up for you, Brother Mike. I know I sounded like Barney Fife on Andy Griffith. When I swallowed hard and said, I think we're supposed to give that back to you. <laughs> he looked at me like I was from another planet. He said, no one has ever done that. My wife and I didn't say anything for modesty's sake, but inside I was thinking, we're sure not trying to be different, Pastor. <laughs> On the way home, my wife and I tried to encourage each other. I told her as we drove home in the car, honey, sometimes I've heard some of those famous preachers, of course nobody ever heard of us, but I heard some of them famous people say that God just makes money show up in their mailbox sometimes. So the next morning, Monday morning, when we got home, we hid in our living room and waited on the mailman. <laughs> we peeked out of those curtains and I watched for him. I said, honey, he's down the next block. He'll be here pretty soon. After a moment, I looked again. Oh, I said, honey, he's next door. Don't make a sound now. I'm gonna hold the curtains real still so he won't know we're in here. <laughs> Waiting to pounce on him. I heard him come up on our porch and he rattled our, our mailbox. Same one that's always had all the bills in it and all the appeals from everybody that's going under if they don't hear from me by credit card today. 
Usually I can wait till he left the porch before I'd act like I happen to remember it's time to check the mail. Then I'd go out there and look in the mailbox, and on that Monday there was a totally unexpected little check in there for $5. <laughs> on Tuesday, another check. On Wednesday, another check. Both $5. On Thursday, a check for $30-something. I was so thrilled, my wife and I drove across town to my parents' house because my father had been extremely worried because we had quit our regular job and now we were trying to live by faith in the ministry without any promise of a regular paycheck. So to hopefully encourage him, I went over and showed him that check for 30-something dollars. Hey, Dad. Hello, Mike. Hey, how Hello, you doing Carmel? today? Well, hi, Ed. I'm going in. All right. All right. Hey, I came over because we just got this in the mail. Well, what is it, Mike? It's a check. Lady at a Christian bookstore sent it to me. How are you going to raise a family on $37 checks? Oh, we're, we, we think there'll be more, Dad. We, we think that's just, a, you know, first of maybe a, a lot of checks that'll be coming. But, Mike, you've got a family, you've got children, you, you had a fine job with the mine, but a couple of $37 checks, Mike, that's just... He said, now, don't misunderstand me. Your mom knows God. And it's true, my mom had prayed for my dad for many, many years to accept Jesus, and he never had. Your mom knows God, and I know there is a God, he said, but how do you know God told you to quit that job? On the way back home, I was a little discouraged again until Friday, and the mailman brought another little check for $5. We paid the water bill on time. We ate all week. God met our needs. On Saturday that week, I went to Lafayette, Indiana to speak and sing at a, a ladies' prayer group. There were only a couple of men in attendance, and after the meeting was over, just dismissed, one man walked up to me, stood right about there, Brother Mike, he said, I can't hardly get my breath to tell you this. He said, uh, I've never had anything happen to me like this. I looked at him. He was sort of trembling. He said, God spoke to me today. He spoke to me during this meeting. I said, well, what do you think God said to you, sir? He said, I think he told me that I'm supposed to give you a love offering. I said, God told you to give me a love offering? He said, yes, sir. How much should I give you? <laughs> I said, sir, if God told you to do that, I couldn't tell you to disobey him. But if it wasn't God, if you just got worked up emotionally or, or got excited or something, then I wouldn't give me a dime because you'd just be throwing your money away. And, and I felt good about being that honest. Until I saw him, he got his wife by the hand and, and I watched him go down the aisle and leave. <laughs> Have you ever felt like going, stupid, stupid, <laughs> stupid? But now the meeting was over and I was getting ready to leave too and I looked and, and they came back in, that man and his wife. They stopped halfway down the aisle. He looked at me and he said, listen you, we went out in our car and prayed. God told us to give you something. He said, honey, how much are we going to give him? Because he's not going to tell us. <laughs> she said, what did God tell you to give him during the meeting? What did God actually say? That's what you do. And with that, he sat down and pulled out his checkbook. And I barely could hear him say, I think he was thinking about filling out the check correctly. I barely heard him say, God told me during the meeting that whenever he gives him enough new songs to make a new album, we're supposed to pay for it. 
and he handed me a check for $4,000 on that Saturday. I ran red lights and stop signs on the way home. <laughs> I was in shock, especially because I hadn't told them in that meeting. There was no way that man could know other than God that God had already given me enough new songs to do a new album. And I had contracted the recording studio in South Carolina for the very next Tuesday to record those new songs. But this time, instead of borrowing, I was trying to walk by faith and trust God that he would provide. On Tuesday, my dad, who always loved music even more than I do, went with me to that recording session. He said he'd never seen one. When it was finally over, I was exhausted and I went back to the motel we were going to sleep that night before returning home, and he was already in his bed. I turned out the light and got over in my bed. In just a moment, in the darkness, I heard his voice. He said, Son, how much did all that come to today? Them violins and guitars and singers you're going to have on that album and everything. I said, Dad, the receipt's over there on my dresser. If you'd like to look at it in the morning, right there by my wallet, it came to $3,995. After a moment, he said, Son, you realize how close that was, that $4,000 that fella gave you? <laughs> and two months later, my father walked forward in the church and asked Jesus to come into his heart and be his personal Savior. And I'll tell you why I'm so particularly happy about that. Because two short years later, I quietly prayed over him in the Spirit while he went to sleep and went to be with Jesus. Just before he went to be with the Lord, I had a chance to talk with him there in the hospital. I'll check back with you later. So I realize now, Dad, when I was a teenager, I, I must have caused you and Mom a lot of stress. And, and I guess I just want to uh, ask your forgiveness. That's all right, son. We ended up to be pretty good buddies after all, didn't we? And then he said, sometimes, son, when you sing on television, I go over and put my hand on the television set and I pray for you that God would use you wherever people may be seeing you when you're singing about Jesus. God had opened a door for us that we never expected. It's one thing to live the first 37 years of your life in a small coal mining community where you don't know anyone very much around the country, very seldom even go fishing or on a short vacation. And in a matter of just a few days, God opens a door for you. And suddenly you're standing on network national Christian television singing a song that he had inspired. It changed our life completely. And yet at that time I was faced with one of the greatest struggles and one of the greatest challenges that I'd ever faced in my lifetime. So I went to my local pastor and we prayed about it. I knew the scripture by that time had said, make your requests known unto God. 
And God had cautioned me to not tell people my needs, but to make known to Him my needs. I was in a restaurant. Now, recently, I've had some large doors open for me to tell millions of people about Jesus. And I've been told in so many words, sometimes subtly, sometimes a little more directly, that, that I'm to sort of join the team and, and help raise funds and, and ask for contributions and such, their methods. And yet God has taught me what I believe is a whole different story. And, and now I know that if I don't play ball and do what I'm asked, I may very well close those doors that God has so beautifully opened. And I don't want to miss the opportunity to tell millions of people about Jesus. So I've got to ask you, Pastor, what, what do you think I should do? Well, Mike, I don't have the answers. God does. So let's ask him. Let's you and I pray about it. God, as you well know, moves in mysterious ways. At first, I had no idea that what I'm going to share with you next and last was God answering that prayer. That only became evident much later on. And here's what happened after we prayed. I was upstairs, and it was a, a morning, and it was back in the days when our, uh, when our doorbell used to work. As I went down the stairs, I wondered who might be at our front door. Would it be the Avon lady? Would it be a religious group? Or would it be someone from the local school system selling light bulbs again or advertising or something like that? I opened the door and much to my surprise, it was none of those. In fact, it was, it was just a young fellow, maybe in his early 30s. At one quick glance, I could tell that he was an outdoors type person. Found out later on he spent most of his time working outdoors. Very tan, very uh, poor. It looked to me like, and he had a grocery sack in his hand. He said to me, Mister, you want to buy these curtains? <laughs> and I looked. I didn't know what to say. People ever catch you off guard? As <laughs> so I said, the only thing that came to my mind, I said, No, sir, uh, we got curtains. <laughs> but it seemed like he knew from that that I wasn't going to buy his, and so he turned and left my porch. And went off down the street to the next house. I closed the door, went in and sat down in my lazy boy, and I didn't feel good inside. I, I spoke to my wife upstairs. I said, Honey, did you hear all that at the door? She said, Yes. I said, Honey, I didn't buy those curtains. You wouldn't want them. They, they were terrible looking, honey. All the color was nearly gone. They were old. You, we, I don't think you'd even put them in the basement. I said, Honey, I did the right thing, you know not giving that man money because nowadays there's all kinds of people out there and you can't just hand the money. Right, honey? Still quiet up there. I hate that when she does that. <laughs> I said, now honey, they'll misuse it. They'll, they'll buy dope or beer and you know we got to really be led by the Holy Spirit before we just give money away. When she still wouldn't say anything, I thought I'm going to show her. But I was right. I said, honey, I'll be back in a few minutes. I'm going to go get in the car, and I'm going to follow that guy down the street. And I'm not going to let him see me, and I'm going to come back and tell you what he does with the money, because I'll bet you he buys beer with it or something like that. And I did that. I pulled my car out. He was a couple of blocks away now. I slowly followed him down the street. He never saw me, 
and he sold the curtains to someone in our neighborhood. And I don't know if they felt sorry for him or what, but he went to a grocery store. I waited till he got inside. I parked in the parking lot. I slipped inside without him seeing me. I hid over in the next aisle behind the cornflakes, and I watched him. <laughs> and he went to the checkout counter, and all he had purchased was bread and milk. No cigarettes, no beer. And so I waited outside for him. And I said, Mr., excuse me just a moment. You were at my house while I go out. I don't know if you'll remember. But I think I was supposed to do something, and I don't believe I did what I was supposed to do. And I'd like to kind of make up for it now. And I reached in my billfold, and I knew that I knew that I was to give him a $10 bill. And he thanked me. He said, oh, mister, that really helped me. Thank you very much. He said, see what happened to me? He said, I was a bachelor for a lot of years, but just recently I got married uh, a few months ago to a woman who had been married before. She was from St. Louis, and she had five kids from her first marriage, he said. And he said, now that little old job that always used to be enough for me uh, isn't enough anymore. And in fact, I got behind on our bills and they garnished my wages and, and now I don't have a job. They got rid of me and, and I can't even get a recommendation for another job. So he said, that $10 will really help. Oh, by the way, he said, I clean out basements and work in yards. You need anything like that done at your house? I said, you know, it's funny you mention that. Even though I didn't want to be taken advantage of, I'd been promising my wife for weeks that I'd clean out the basement. That woman throws everything away. And you men know what I mean. I hold on to everything. You never know when you're going to need that little nut and bolt and washer that you bought down to a hardware store in 1950-whatever. <laughs> so I invited him over because I wanted to be there with him when she had him clean out our basement. And I learned something that day about people as I worked with him in the basement. If they ever truly suspect or even believe that you really do care about them, that you love them, God will give us an opportunity to tell them about him. So after we'd worked a while, my wife Carmel brought us some tea and we sit down to take a little break and it was an opportunity for me. I, I said, Pete... Do you know that God loves you? He looked at me. Had that look on his face like, oh boy, you got to put up with a lot when you work for folks. <laughs> I said, Pete, he does. I'm not trying to cram religion down your throat, but God loves you. He loves you as much as he loves me. He's no respecter of persons. He didn't say anything. He just kind of looked at me. And then after a while, I knew that I'd said enough. And then after a few weeks, I had him come back and we worked out in our yard. And we even rode together to our landfill to get rid of some limbs and some trash we'd cleaned up out in the yard. On the way to the landfill, I had another opportunity. I said, Pete, God says in the Bible that if you give to him, he'll give to you, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Men will give into your bosom in this time. He looked at me. And as I pressed the point, finally, much to my surprise, he spoke up. He said, that'd be easy for a guy like you. He said, you got this nice pickup truck we're riding in here, and you got that nice house. Of course, I didn't think our house was anything fancy, but, but I guess to him it was pretty nice. He said, how would a guy like me that hadn't got anything give to God? He said, I don't have enough now. And it gave me an opportunity to remind him that if you truly give to God, even when you don't know how you can, if the Lord himself has truly told you to do it, that you'll never be able to outgive him. And I believe that pleases the heart of God. 
I really didn't think I was having much effect with him. And a few days later, I heard the awfulest noise on my front porch. I opened the door, and there was Pete. He was so excited, I couldn't hardly understand him. His words were just running over each other. He said, I did it, I did it. I said, you did what, Pete? I didn't know what he's talking about. He looked at me like I was ignorant. He said, I just mowed a lawn, and I took a tithe out of it, and he said, I gave it to the Second Baptist Church, and don't you say nothing, he said, because that's where God told me to give it. <laughs> I said, well, that's all right, Pete. They're our brothers, too. The main thing is you tried to obey God, and now you and I are both adults. So we sit down. I said, what I want us to do, I want you and I to watch really carefully and let's see what God does because of your obedience. And so we made a little silent agreement. And it wasn't a few days later, I heard so much noise on our front porch. When I opened the door, he was, without exaggeration, dancing. He said he did it. He did it. I said, who, Pete? What are you talking about? He said, God did it. He said, that lawyer that lives up on the east end of our town, said, his wife just called me on the phone. I ran right over here to tell you, and they're going to give me $400 worth of yard work that I had no idea I was going to get. He said, I've been thinking about it on the way over here. I'm going to tithe on that too. <laughs> See, Pete wasn't stupid. It was just that no one had ever told him the good news of the gospel. And I watched his life after that. He'd give to God, and God would bless him every time. Not when men were trying to manipulate him, but when God spoke to him. He began to take his whole family to church. And I even heard that he went back in that old bar one last time and stood behind all them guys at the bar, and he looked at all of his ex-old buddies, and he said, you guys in here sure are stupid. <laughs> he said, you ought to be like me and my family, start going to church and giving to God. He said, then he'd bless you. Then they said he walked out like an evangelist. <laughs> I laughed when I heard that story. Every time I'd get home from ministry trips, I'd kiss my wife hello and go looking for Pete because he always had a great story to tell me how God had blessed him. One day, right in the middle of one story, I was laughing my head off. And right in the middle of my laughter, the Holy Spirit said, give him your truck. <laughs> I loved my truck. That truck was a nice truck. You men know what I mean. That's one of the handiest things you can own. It wasn't a junker. It was a nice truck. It was dark blue, my favorite color. I said, God, how can it be you? That's the truck I go to Nashville, Tennessee in to pick up records and tapes and bring home to mail out to people when they order them from me. If I give the truck away, God, how would I get those records? In fact, God, if you'll answer this, I'd certainly obey you. If I give that truck away, I thought I had him. <laughs> Who would go get my records and tapes? He said, hire Pete, he needs a steady job too. <laughs> it got so bad, I not only had to pay him to go get my records and tapes, Thanks, Mike. but I had to give him a truck to do it in. But God blessed us not long after that with a beautiful miracle and we had a brand new blue van to travel in in the ministry. Conversion van, bucket seats. And a little singing group from the Church of God in my hometown knocked on our door one night. 
Hi, Carmel. Hi, Carmel. Hi, Mike here. Yes, Mike, come here. Oh, yeah. Hi. Hi, Hi, Hi Mike. Mike. Just so we need to ask you. Uh -huh. Hey, Mike. We like your van. Oh, I say, yeah, thank you very much. We do, too. They said, we hope you don't mind. We were looking at it, and it would be just right for our singing group to hang our clothes in and put our sound equipment in everything. We, we want you just to promise us one thing, Brother Mike. Would you just, would you just pray about selling it to us? Because we'd like to buy it from you. I said, oh, oh, oh sure, we'll, uh, we'll pray. That's what we always say when we're trying to get rid of people. <laughs> Told my wife after they left, I said, honey, God would have to ride it in the sky. <laughs> sell your van, sign God, before I'd sell my van. I love my van. But I told her, I said, you know what puzzles me? I can't figure out. I know. In fact, I'd already been telling her this for several weeks. God's been dealing with me for some reason to buy a bus. And I don't know why. I don't even like buses. I never drove anything that big in my life. They're dirty. I wouldn't know how to repair it. And most of all, why would God want me to have a bus? But I said, what's intriguing me, honey, is that if we did sell that van, oh, it wouldn't be enough to buy a bus. I said, those things, even for a good user, are probably fifteen dollars or $20,000. But it, it might give us a down payment. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I told her, I'm going to Nashville, Tennessee, and I'm just going to shop for them. That won't cost me anything. So I went to Trailways in Nashville, Tennessee. Walked in a building, a huge building. There must have been a dozen or more Trailways buses in there. All of them, almost all said charter, different cities on the front of them. Some they were washing and cleaning for trips coming up and others they were overhauling and changing tires and the man that ran the place waited on us. And I said, I, I might be interested in uh, purchasing one of your buses. Uh, tried to act like I did it every day. I said, how much you get for one of these babies? He said, oh, uh, which one do you like best? I kind of kicked the tires on them and looked at them. I never seen anything that big. I said, I like this one. It doesn't seem to have much rust. And, Looks, oh, he said, you picked the best one in the place, mister. He said, you really know how to pick a bargain. We just overhauled this one, put brand new tires on it, and we'll sell it to you at a bargain price for only $71,600. I said, sir, I don't know if you know about folks like us, but I'm one of them born-again Christians, and we like to pray a lot before we just sort of rush into these kind of deals. If you got a business card I can take home with me and let me pray about this, and I got away from him, and I got to a payphone as fast as I could, and I called home. I said, honey, listen, they want $71,600 for this bus. She said, I, I, I don't know about that, honey, but I hope you're not going to be mad at me when you get home. <laughs> I said, I, I'm not mad at you, honey. We've been, we've been getting along kind of good lately. In fact, I was kind of looking forward to getting home to see you. Why, why would I be mad at you? Uh, she said, because you know that little singing group that came to our house wants to buy our van? I said, yes. She said, they've been to the bank today, and the bank's ready to give them the loan, and they're ready to sign the papers. But I told them before they go that far, maybe they'd want to wait for you to get home and, and talk to you. You know, you promised them, and we, we said we'd pray, and, and I kind of felt like I knew what God was telling me, but I, I didn't know what he was telling you. And, uh, but I, I told them maybe, maybe, maybe God had even told you to... Give it to him. <laughs> it usually takes me three and a half hours to get home from Nashville, Tennessee to where I live. 
And I've thought about it. I think when God created the earth, He must have made it that way because He knew that I'd need time. <laughs> a little over three hours driving home from Nashville to talk to Him and get peace in my heart. To tell you the truth, to get peace about what I knew He'd been trying to tell me the whole time, but I'd been too afraid to face. I knew He'd told us to give those youngsters our van. When I got home, Hi, honey. my wife had her best dress on, <laughs> had her hair fixed, and it fixed me chocolate cake, which is my very favorite. She was so sweet for the next couple of days. It was quiet around our house, but sweet. She'd given our van away on Thursday. And on Saturday, I walked out on the porch and looked in our old mailbox. And I had to sit down. It made my legs so weak, what was in the mail that day. As I opened the mail, my eyes looked, and there were over 40,000 totally unexpected dollars in our mailbox on Saturday morning. Several days later, several thousand more dollars unexpected came. And I went back to Nashville, Tennessee, walked up to that same man, gave him his business card and said, I'm going to buy that bus, please, cash. And we paid him $71,600. He said, wonderful. We're going to take you out for a little ride in it, he said. I'm going to show you real quick how to drive it. Uh, they took me out for a little quick tour, showed me so many buttons and gadgets, I thought I'll never remember them all, but I don't want to look ignorant in front of these men. I'll act like I know what I'm doing. We got back to the place. I kind of hopped it out of their barn. Somehow I got it out on the interstate. I felt like they'd turned a hotel over on the side, and I was trying to keep it between the lines. All the way down those interstates, I prayed all the way as trucks would pass me, and our mirrors would almost touch. And I was praying, oh God, protect those men. They have no idea, God, that I've never driven anything like this. I was soaked with perspiration by the time I got home. Pulled off the interstate up to the exit. I got the bus stopped, but I couldn't get it low. When I tried to find low gear, I just grind the gears. But God helped me get it down Main Street. Down Main Street, it cleared all the lines, the power lines. It made it underneath them, up over the tracks. Our town's only two miles long. Down through the middle part of town, I roared with that empty trailways bus that said Charter, Washington, D.C. on the front of it. Pulled into our neighborhood where the streets were quite small. I had to stop, back up, go forward several times to keep from tearing street signs down and run over neighbors' yards. <laughs> finally, I got it up in front of our house and finally pulled it to a stop and honked the horn for Carmel to come out and see our bus that I'd bought and really didn't know why. <laughs> and while I was waiting on her to come out, that's when I remembered, I don't have a place to park this thing. <laughs> I measured it the next day. That bus was over 40 foot long. Our house was only 27 foot long. <laughs> Neighbors' curtains were moving all over the neighborhood. I knew that guy next door was probably saying, Hey, Mildred, come here and see what he's got out here now. You're not going to believe this one. I tell you, it's more fun to serve God than anything I ever found in my lifetime. But I started praying. I said, God, why, why did I buy this bus? And I couldn't seem to hear anything from him. And it was all right for a few days until some friends began to ask me, say, hey, why'd you buy the bus, Mike? I, I didn't know what to say to them. And then relatives started asking me. They said, you never had any money in your life. First time God ever gave you any money, you bought a bus. I said, God, please, you got to tell me, why'd we buy this bus? And those things, you gotta, they're so big, you got to keep the batteries charged up on them. So you got to look for excuses to drive them. Uh, 
I, I took it down to the car wash. It wouldn't fit under the car wash. But I saw a guy in the next stall washing his, his truck and he was looking at me, so I just acted like I was there just to wash the front off of And then one day I took it to the barber shop. I thought maybe nobody will be there. The place was full. When I walked in, parked the bus out front, it covered up the whole barbershop. I thought maybe they won't notice. And I thought I was going to get away with it for a while. And nobody said anything at first until finally when I got in the chair and it was my turn to get my hair cut, it looked like everybody in the place just stopped what they were doing and stared at me. And one man said, Say, Atkins, we've been wondering, what's that bus out there for? I didn't know what to say. All those men in my hometown that I'd grown up with. I said, the only thing came to my mind. I hope it makes sense. I said, uh, I bought it for God. <laughs> Thought about it later on, like God needs a bus. <laughs> on the way home, I looked in the mirror at all them empty seats. I said, God, please tell me why we bought this bus. <laughs> and he still wouldn't tell me. Finally, I went to Indianapolis, Indiana to do a church meeting like this. And, and, and in the meeting, I got up to speak and sing at the very beginning. And suddenly the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he said, you're not to speak and sing today. I said, but God, they were expecting me. I'm the visiting evangelist and they've introduced me. Who's supposed to do that anyway? And I saw a couple near the back. I barely knew enough about them to even know that they were in some kind of ministry work. And the Holy Spirit said, I want them to do the service today. Let them come and speak. And I sat on the platform with them, and they came and began to share quickly about the work that God has them involved in. They take 40 people at a time, and they give up their vacations to go to the Mardi Gras, the World Series, the All-Star Game, many other places where large crowds gather, and they hand out tracts, and they street witness, and they tell people about Jesus. They sleep in church basements in sleeping bags to go and tell people about Jesus. And all of a sudden, in the middle of their testimony, in the middle of my rejoicing, because they were telling that sometimes people, even in the midst of all that sin, would get down on their knees and ask Jesus into their heart, the Holy Spirit said to me, give them your bus. <laughs> That's what it's for. That's why I had you buy it. Three days later, I gave them the keys, and they drove our bus out of town. Well, it's God's bus after all. And then a funny thing happened. In the mail at my office, for the first time in my life, letters begin to come. Letters that would say things like this. Dear Brother Mike, if you have any videotapes you could send us, we'll be glad to show them for you free on our television station. Letters from some of the largest cities in the United States of America, and several cities, and several letters. But I didn't have any videotapes. I didn't even own cameras. How would I have videotapes? I thought, if I hadn't given that bus away, I could have sold that bus and maybe bought some cameras. Maybe I missed God. Always trying to help Him out. Always trying to come up with some plan to help Him. It took me all these years to realize He already has a plan. Instead of me trying to make Him fit into my plan, I think He's been waiting all this time for me to fit into his plans. And his plans are magnificent. His plans work. He'd had me give the bus away. 
And five months after he had me give the bus away, my telephone rang in my office. I'd been at home, but I'd got so nervous by that time, my wife said, honey, I love you, but you're so nervous, I wish you'd go somewhere. So I went down to my office where I could be alone, didn't turn the lights on. I said, God, where are you? Please help me, God. Answer me, God. Did I do the right thing? And the phone rang. Wasn't God. <laughs> Wouldn't that make a wonderful ending for this story? <laughs> but it was a man that God had called, which is just as good. And he said, Brother Mike, I don't know if you remember me or not. He was with uh, one of the great television networks, Christian television networks. And that same network who had no idea what God had had me do, had no idea that Pete would ever walk up on my porch, had no idea that I'd ever be asked of God to give anything away, that same network said, we want to give you your own television program totally free across the United States of America, even into a few other islands and countries nearby, and it's not going to cost you a dime, and you'll never have to mention money. They said, we know you won't want to accept unless God's told you to, so... Pray and tell us as soon as you can the answer he gives you. And so I prayed. And every time I prayed, as clear as a bell, God would bring to my mind in an answer to that prayer, a pickup truck, a van, and a bus. He said, those were your seeds. This is your harvest. Land of my heroes, that's where I long to be Well now and then my mind goes back to the days of my childhood Carefree, adventurous days Like when me and my brother Bob took an old horse tub down to the pond on my dad's little farm and with a couple of boards we used for oars we just set sail in that makeshift vessel What a great fun day that was and it was during these days that we'd gather around our radio and listen to the Grand Ole Opry, or maybe Sergeant Preston of the Yukon, or Fibber McGee and Molly. Now, I didn't know what all these famous radio people looked like, but in my mind's eye, they were tall and beautiful. And they were perfect in just about every way. They always said clever and intelligent things. And they always won every fight over crime and they stood for the American way and I thought when I grow up I want to be just like them well, then one winter dad and mom took all of us down to the Grand Ole Opry and I was so excited but I saw for the first time that the voices I'd always heard belonged to real live people and it took a little getting used to to find out that they had aches and pains and gray hair and problems just like the rest of us. And the land of my heroes slowly began to fade away. Land of my heroes, that's where I long to be. Well, many years have passed since then and now Bob and I are both grown and we have children of our own. And sometimes I watch them play in their land of magic make-believe. And just a few short years ago, someone introduced me 
to a man called Jesus. And I found out that he loved us all. And I'd read his Bible and I discovered a whole bunch of other great men and women. And in my mind's eye, they're tall and beautiful. And they say great things and they always point and encourage us to the Christian way. And one of these days, when I depart this old earth, I'm going to journey to a place I've never seen. And I'll see these great men and women of old. And you know, I believe they will be beautiful and perfect in every way. So I guess, now that I think about it, maybe there really is a land of my heroes. Land of my heroes, that's where I long to be. Isn't that amazing what happened with our brother Mike giving away all in vehicles, not knowing why? But let's go to the Word of God. In Jeremiah 29, Verse number 11 says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. You see, Mike didn't know why he was giving away all in vehicles, but he was obedient. And he didn't really find out why until he did what? He searched for him. He seeked him. And the Lord showed him the harvest. And he gave him the harvest. And you're thinking, boy, that's a lot of religious stuff. It's not religious. It's relationship. Mm -hmm. And if you give your heart to Jesus Christ, and you diligently seek him in the cab of that truck, you'll find him. So drivers, we're just going to ask you right now today, if you're serious with God, If you're done playing games and you're serious and you want to seek him, just say this simple prayer. Father, I love you. Father, I know you love me. And I know that I can trust you. And Lord, I ask that you forgive me of all my sins. I know you went to the cross for my sins. And I ask now that you cover me in the blood of Jesus and let me live my life for him. Give me the peace that I seek and the desires of my heart that you said you'd give me. So I'm going to seek you and search you right now and ask for forgiveness in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 And drivers, obedience equals blessings. You want God's blessings? Then be obedient to what he's calling you to do. And he's calling each and every one of us to surrender our hearts to him. And that's what you just did if you prayed that prayer. And if you did, we want to hear from you. Give us a call. My phone number is 618-383-2107. And my phone number is 615-663-3199. And we're going to end today's program with my testimony in song. It's called At the Foot of the Tree. And this is Dennis McKay to sing it for you. Roads of life lost without hope, 
Eighteen wheels of lonesome at the end of the road. In my hand was a track the preacher had read. His words still echoing in the back of my head. I felt so ashamed when I thought of my past. Then I called his name. This chance would it be my last? Then I saw Jesus hanging on that tree. I lifted up my heart from down on my knees. Today I met Jesus at the foot of the cross, broken-hearted and lonesome. So long I've been lost. I left a lifetime of misery at the foot of the tree. Those eighteen wheels are rolling down that old lonesome road. And I shared the good news wherever I go. Yes, there's been a change. I'm not the man I used to be, and I tell everybody what's happened to me. How I felt so ashamed when I thought of my past, but I called his name. This chance could it be my last? Then I saw Jesus hanging on that tree, and I lifted up my heart from down on my knees. Today I met Jesus at the foot of the cross, broken-hearted and lonesome. So long I've been lost. I left a lifetime of misery at the foot of the tree. Then I saw Jesus hanging on that tree. I lifted up my heart from down on my knees. Today I met Jesus at the foot of the cross. Broken-hearted and lonesome, so long I'd been lost. I left a lifetime of misery at the foot of the tree.